0: This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Three, two... Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue, White, and Yellow podcast with myself, Connor McGilligan, and Baron Cross. Uh, we're here to discuss absolutely everything surrounding Leeds United. It seems a little bit more positive than when we were last on. I mean, me and Baron haven't been on a, a podcast for a while now, but uh it's definitely a little bit more flowery on the Leeds United end now after a, a brilliant win at Molyneux. And 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 someone who was at Molyneux that night to witness that chaotic game was Barron? i mean have have you got over it yet mate <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a uh, it was just it was just absolutely bonkers we were sat for um for a good few hours after the game in the press room just trying to sort of process what we'd seen we just couldn't quite process it because at half time it felt like they were relegated it was just absolutely abysmal first first half for the team and coming off with three injuries two goals down the second goal just on the stroke of half time it just felt like almost like Villa all over again. And you're kind of thinking it, it was as if the Norwich win had never happened. Um, and you're kind of wondering where, where, they, where they turned from that point. And of course, the red card from Jimenez is absolutely pivotal. But they still had to find a way to win the game. And I, I still don't think they played brilliantly well, to be honest, Leeds. I think they almost sort of forced it. It was almost like sort of done by, by sort of sheer willpower to try and sort of get those goals in. And I think there was a few Wolves errors, which, of course, Leeds um, punished quite rightly. But it was just, just a chaotic game. Um, but the upshot is it's, it's a monumental three points, which gives them a seven-point gap going through this international break, which could be could be pivotal in the weeks ahead.
0: Yeah, it does feel seismic, doesn't it, Baron? Uh, especially doing that without, you know, I mean, obviously the players that went off, <laughs> some of our key players, but the players that weren't even available for selection, Calvin Phillips and, and, and ultimately Rafinha as well. It seems like Leeds being able to get the job done um it it seems huge in in the relegation like looking at the relegation picture right now
1: yeah absolutely massive with this break they've got now and and i think it's a a crucial time they've had this break with the injuries that they've got i think we're hoping that if you base it on nothing more than marsh's comments um by the time the southampton games comes around in theory Furpo, Hjelda and Roberts should be the only players injured or were absent. We need to obviously have a look watch Robin Cox's coronavirus um, diagnosis. He, of course, tested positive on Germany duty. So he will be, I don't know if he's already out there, whether he stays out there now that he's tested positive, but I'm sure they will sort of work out the logistics around that and he will need to get back. But you would hope in theory that means that he will now sort of get back to Leeds sooner than he would have done and get more time within Rafinha, of course, should clear his COVID fairly soon. Phillips and Cooper get another fortnight to sharpen up ahead of the, the Southampton game. And all the injuries that, that happened actually at Molyneux, according to Marsh, weren't particularly serious. So, mm. in theory, they could be in a really, really strong place by the time the Southampton game comes
0: around. I'll tell you what, though, as well, Baron, in terms of the psychological impact that would have had, not only for Leeds, you know, two last-minute winners... Um, when you're talking about squad morale and and, and you know, as just said, the confidence boost, but the psychological damage on on especially Burnley, I look at and Watford in terms of you know Everton getting that last minute winner against Newcastle and Leeds also doing it twice, and especially the Wolves game. You think at this at this point in the season, that's absolutely huge, isn't it? And and the impact on these opposition teams in and around the relegation zone, they'll be turning around and thinking, goodness me, Leeds really do fight till the end.
1: Yeah, that was a really, really tough 24 hours or so for Watford and Burnley to watch Everton somehow with 10 men win that game. I think as as Leeds sympathisers, we were looking at that and, and sort of couldn't really believe that they'd come back from that stage. And we, we were sort of worried, weren't we, before the Wolves game as to what that meant for Leeds. But Leeds have kept up their end of the bargain, bargain and won the game as well. And, and like you say, Watford and Burnley are the big losers and they've, they've of course, didn't play at the weekend. So they have then got another two weeks to wait, um, three weeks in total to put some more points on the board. And the big debate is games in hand versus points in hand, isn't it? And I'd much rather be in leaders' position. Um, Watford and Burnley are in the bottom three for a reason. Um, the odds would suggest that they're probably not going to pick up too many points from those games in hand. And I think without, um, I think we're going to go through it ultimately, but sort of off the top of my head, I'm sure I've read in passing that they actually play each other quite, um, I think those those three sort of all do play each other, so they, so they can't all win. So they are going to pick up points off each other. It's going to be very hard for them, for one or all of them to catch leads.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think it's good as well to, I mean, in this period that we've had, Baron, it's four games under the new boss, Jesse Marsh, who's come in in extremely tough circumstances. Obviously, he came in with, with 12 games to go, couldn't really change that much. I think he's put his stance on it a little bit, but it still seems to have. Um, the, the, the old look Bielsa as well, you know how how widely are still playing, I, yeah, and I, and I think that's that's not really a, a staple of Jesse Marsh ball. Obviously, we know that he likes to play narrow. In general, what have you made of, of of the new manager? Have you been impressed?
1: Yes, I think so. the The Villa game was a really really tough pill to swallow. Um, there were some really really dire individual performances that evening. And Norwich and Norwich, so I don't think, I think even Marsh would say we shouldn't read too much into the Norwich result because they are truly abysmal and and Leeds in the end made quite hard work of it. So there are definitely, Norwich wasn't a perfect game, the chances were there, but you'd expect them to be against a team as weak as Norwich. So you're looking at Leicester and Wolves, two very, very strong sort of ones in the the higher reaches of of mid-table, the other in sort of the lower reaches of mid-table, and they were both... Encouraging in parts, I think Leicester, especially, they really should have won that game. Um, having lost that, just there, there was no real logical explanation for why Leicester win that game. I think Schmeichel had a brilliant performance, and Harvey Barnes gets a bit of space and sticks it away in clinical fashion. Uh, and Wolves, as I've said, you know the first half was was yeah, truly, truly horrid, and there was very, very little to to cheer for, and the, the injuries weren't helping the, the mood. So. I think generally it has been pleasing. I think the points are there, which which do soften the blow and um, improve the analysis of what he's done so far. It's going to take a bit of time. At its best, when they're attacking, it is nice to see how many passing options there seem to be. Especially at Leicester, I remember every time they went forward, there seemed to be somebody free to, to pass to um, mm. as they attacked. So it's going to take time to refine. Um, and of course, a lot of it is all dictated to by by survival, really. And and if they can stay up, and I think they probably need six more points, and I think they can then safely start planning for next season in the top flight.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with the the narrow system that he's he's tried to implement, because I think we've seen a few players thrive, haven't we, Baron? On on maybe maybe players that weren't thriving under Marcelo Bielsa, who are now in this system, maybe the defensive onus isn't on them as much. And I sort of look at players like matthias click i look at players like rodrigo do you sh- sort of share that sentiment that those players have, have really seemed to seem to really take uh, it upon themselves to i don't know uh flourish in this system <laughs> i
1: think Click and Forshaw sure, have certainly tightened up in the middle of the park mm. again we've only had four games so um and it's been so up and down and inconsistent it, it's hard to draw too many firm conclusions i think when it's been good, it's been nice to see those two in the middle, and, and actually having two midfielders in those two midfield slots. Um, but then again, you know, first half of Wolves, you're looking at them and they're completely overrun, and wondering, you know, what on earth is going on, and they're just completely exposed and giving Matieno, Neves, and, and Podence the freedom of Molyneux in, in in the middle of the pitch. So, I think Rodrigo again, he's been inconsistent, hasn't he? You know, he has an absolute mm. mare against Villa, <laughs> comes back and does much better against Norwich, and then again against Wolves, you know. Misses that chance at the, the near post. I think he should be getting better contact on the balls than that early on in the first half after Dan James whips that ball into, into the near post area. Um, Bamford made a massive difference against Norwich, I felt. But then, of course, he's gone and strained his foot. so We, we still need to kind of see him have a consistent run in the side. Ailing's probably improved a little bit, I would say, especially at right back. I think we, I think we all prefer him at right back to to, to centre back. Mm. And... Yeah, Rafinha's yeah. probably been somebody that, that's improved. I think um, against Norwich, especially, um, seemed to show something a bit bit closer to his better better level that we haven't seen in previous weeks. Sort of going back to Bielsa's latter days as well, and Dan James playing in a wider role. If he plays anywhere but but up front, he seems to be much much better, doesn't <laughs> he?
0: Yeah, he does, hundred percent. And it, it, it's interesting when you talk about. I mean, we're talking about on the field here, Baron, but off the field as well. It seems like there's a real unity about the lads, and obviously, you know, when it when 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 you're getting results like you know two two on the bounce, you obviously it's going to be easy to draw that conclusion. But it does seem like you know we heard rumours of of Jesse Marsh speaking to Rodrigo individually after the after the Norwich game, him speaking directly as well to to Rafinha, Rafinha saying he wants to take more responsibility and do X, Y, and Z. Obviously, back to Rodrigo as well, putting him in that leadership group. Seems like Jesse's getting it right at the minute in terms of just putting his arm around the shoulder of a few of these players, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, not even rumours. I mean, Marsha's coming out and saying it. You know, he's, he spoke to Rodrigo after the, the Villa game. I think Rafini has gone to him and said he wants, like you say, there's there's more of a, a two-way conversation on, on how um, the players want to do things. And they go to Marsh for they can approach him and ask him questions and put their own ideas forward. And I think you know, I think we will. Time will tell on how this approach plays out. But certainly, initially, it does feel nice, at least, to see them celebrating in the way they do on the pitch together. You know, it's been a long time since we've seen a Leeds manager out on the pitch actually with the players celebrating at full time. I mean, Paul Hackenbom didn't have too many victories to celebrate, did he? So <laughs> we're going back. A, we're going back a real long way since we've seen um, yeah. a head coach like that going out and sharing it with the players at the time. So. The leadership council seems to be something that Marsh wants to pursue. He's, of course, made it bigger. He's brought Bamford, Phillips and Rodrigo into it. So joining with those those four lads in their early 30s that you'd expect to be in there. So I think time's going to tell, but it certainly seems and feels positive. Um, but but it just feels so um, transient, the conversations mm. about Leeds at the moment. Because if you'd asked me at half-time in the Wolves game, we'd be, we'd be saying very, very different things, wouldn't we?
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it really is interesting. That's why I, I wanted to ask you about the the mix of systems and, and it being a, a little bit Bielsa-esque still in terms of, you know, a, a lot of our goals are still coming from out wide. But it does, it does still seem that the players are adapting to the system, Baron. I mean, we, we saw Rodrigo talking to Jack Harrison, didn't we, quite firmly after the first goal was scored and he looked like he was telling him where to go and Jack Harrison wasn't. didn't look like he was being that receptive. But uh, it, it still seems that there may be a little bit of confusion within the system, but it seems like there's a, a little bit of a, a fusion between the two systems that are, that are working in Leeds' favour.
1: Yeah, it's going to take time, isn't it? I think that's why the international break is such a, a crucial time for him in, in getting some actual time on the training pitch with the players. And then, of course, Chelsea winning in the FA Cup means they're going to have another fortnight break after the, the Watford game. So we're only going to have two games and then we're into another, effectively, another international break, really. But that's going to be a very, very useful two weeks with with, with no players going away on in international duty. He's going to have a full complement of players to work with for what will be the run-in. So it's going to take time i think we've seen we've seen little flashes of difference the pressing is clearly different um they counter press he's at least trying to get them to counter press more you can see so expressive on the touchline when they're not pressing in, in the right way and especially in those those earlier games the, the first two games just absolutely bellowing at the players and sort of mm-hmm. shouting them why they why they say passive why they staying man to man they should all be converging on on the same wolves player but You'll get good teams passing through that. I mean, on, on Friday night, Molyneux, you could see that they were pressing aggressively in the first five ten minutes. They were trying to sort of bear down on the Wolves fullbacks. But all it takes is one pass, and you're into hmm. Matina and Nevers. And as I say, they've got a complete acreage to play with. So it's something they're going to have to work on. And you know, Marsh is aware of that. He's not got carried away in any of these press conferences. You know, he keeps saying there's, there's a lot more work to do to keep the the, the destiny in their own hands. It is the way he puts it on Friday night. So. It's still a work in progress. Yeah, you know, we have seen, still seen some jitters from the defence. You know, Urense and, and Stroik were not good in that first half and Urense goes off injured and Stroik only just about improves in the second half. So there are still a lot of things to work on. But I mentioned this in a piece on Saturday morning. But at the end of the day, as long as they're picking up points, I don't think any of us care. I think we're at the stage now where it's so late in the season, gone are these days of you know being having this purest approach to tactics and trying to play the perfect way and try and play attractive football, I couldn't care less, just get the points on the board. And that that was the beauty of Friday is that much like the best teams in football, you win points when you're playing badly. And I suppose that's the big positive is that that people can look at this and say, wow, so they've picked up two wins. They were far from perfect. But at the end of the day, in theory, they can only get better, you would think, with more time on the training field. So if they're getting three points in games now, you would hope that it's only going to get better.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting as well because I think, I don't know about you, but when you're looking at the system, you're obviously now not seeing either centre-back bringing it out from the back and marauding into the midfield, which is something we just saw consistently under Bielsa. But it does seem that Teams are able to hit leads out wide quite a lot. Um, I do look at the Harvey Barnes goal, I look at the Matty Cash goal for Villa. Look at obviously the 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 two goals Wolves scored the other night, and it does seem Baron that with Leeds playing quite narrow now, Mm. you're going to get teams really, you know, getting the ball, you know, really proficient players who are able to switch it play. You know, I'm thinking of Trent Alexander Arnold, Kevin De Bruyne, who are able to switch it just to those wide options. You feel that that's going to be a target, even with maybe this system into next season.
1: Yeah, as you've mentioned, those goals, I'm sort of just playing them back in my head and you are right. There, there just wasn't there wasn't enough pressure on the fullbacks, was there? Which I think is where the counter-pressing comes from. From memory, I think the ball goes into Trinkau, doesn't it, behind Dallas for the first mm. Wolves goal and then he gets there and cuts back. and it's, it's, it's easy for Johnny anyway, but the point is that the damage has been done with that ball over the top, down the flank. So maybe there is an issue with this lack of pressure on the flanks because there isn't that natural sort of right or left winger mm. out there. So this is the way Marsh wants to play. You know he, he's got a very clear idea of what of, of how he wants to play. The club know how he wants to play, and they've hired him. So clearly everybody's reading from the same page. Mm-hmm. This is why they hired him to play this way. He will be aware of the issues and the weaknesses and the system he wants to play. And he will know it's his job then to counter those weaknesses and to bury them and make sure that they, they aren't weaknesses. So it's going to take time. But as I say, hopefully, with a very very hard working and open-minded group as he said a few times they should solve those issues in theory. Um, we will have to see. I mean like I say they need they need six points and I think we can all really breathe a sigh of relief because I can't see enough of the teams below them. I mean I think 35 or 36 points has been the average anyway for safety in, in the last 10 years or so so it would take a better than average performance from the teams below them to actually go beyond leads if they, did, if they were to get to 35 points so um get the two wins beat southampton beat botford and then we can then we can uh, we can relax i think
0: make it sound easy baron <laughs> but I, we'll, I,
1: we'll I... have to see won't we i mean time time will obviously come for looking at southampton but they are inconsistent with three three league yeah. losses on the bounce uh, i'm not saying they're a bad team you know i think i think they have had some very very big highs but They are inconsistent, and I think I at least feel better about playing them than I did maybe four weeks ago, when I think they might have been nine or ten games unbeaten or something. Mm. So they're there to be got at, certainly, and um, they have gone out of the FA Cup now. So I think I think their only interest is the league. So uh, that may well focus their minds a little bit.
0: Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. And I think Baron as well—they'll—they'll they'll be wanting to. I mean, we'll get onto the the next sort of three or four fixtures later on in the in the podcast. But I think Leeds will be wanting to write that wrong. You know, Southampton away this season. I mean, you you'll obviously have been down there, and it was a oh, it was a it was a turgid performance. Horrendous, so, yeah, horrendous.
1: The, f- the first of a few difficult ones of the season. I think that was obviously at a stage where we didn't know where the season was going, and we were still. Mm-hmm. We were still making allowances, weren't we? We were still saying, you know, this is early days. It'll get better. It's just a blip. Um, But ultimately, you know, I think off the top of my head, Brighton and Everton stand out as well. Mm. Uh, The first half at Wolves, Villa, Villa at home. I mean, unfortunately, Southampton was was the first of quite a few really, really dire performances this season, wasn't it?
0: It it really was, Baron. Yeah, you're right. And, And you mentioned something just there about the players, you know, effort at the minute. And, and and I do feel that that's that you're seeing that you know we're looking at the other the other teams in the relegation zone, and I think you're obviously going to get that endeavour from Burnley. You know, I think that's something that Sean Dyche demands. But I tell you what, Baron, I do look at Everton, and I think to myself, there's going to be. Every Leeds player is going to die on that pitch to stay in the in in the Premier League. I look at that Everton team just straight off the bat when you compare an effort levels, just that simple thing that you expect footballers to put in week in week out, and I think Leeds have got that in droves in comparison to them. Just as an example.
1: Yeah, it's hard for us, isn't it? Because we're on the outside looking in. We're obviously leads biased. So we will obviously always try and look for the positives on the lead side. And, and it's hard unless we're we're on the Everton beat watching 90 minutes every single week and, and interviewing their players and manager to really get a proper handle. I think it can be we can be a little bit presumptive, can't we? Because we we're obviously we want we want to believe that narrative, but I think from what you read, you have to trust what other people are writing who do follow Everton and and like you say follow the pundits on, on TV and what they're seeing as ex-pros. And I think you're probably right. I think there are a, a lot of people in that squad that um, that have upset the Everton fans this season. You know, on paper, no, none of us thought Everton were going to struggle this badly. I don't think we maybe thought that Benitez would have an easy ride of it at the start of the season. But on, on paper, they've got some very, very big talent in that in that squad, and they shouldn't be right. anywhere near this this size uh, this side of the table. So clearly, there are people there who are not either listening, not taking on board the tactics, not applying the right kind of effort. So you would hope that maybe there is that. I don't know, a mercenary streak. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I mean, there is there is something that does feel quite wholesome about the stage group, doesn't it? I know it might be misguided. I think, you know, as I say, at the start of this season, we were we were sort of overlooking some of the cracks, weren't we? And we were sort of refusing to believe that this Leeds team might might be creaking a little bit, but there's at least enough there in, in the last few games to believe they are going to graft until the last minute and mm. nothing summed that up better than, than the late winner on Friday.
0: I just wanted to ask you as well, before we move on to the relegation picture chat, What's um what are the Jesse Marsh press conferences like at the minute, well, in general, compared to the Marcelo Bielsa ones?
1: Much more interactive, but I think that's helped by the fact we're in person now. So, unfortunately, we didn't get to go back into person with Marcelo before he left. So, the last press conference with him remains Huddersfield at home in um, mm. after, after Luke Ayling's howitzer. Um, so it's quite quite sad really we didn't get to sort of see him in person to be honest before he left but you know that's life I guess But so I think doing it in person helps massively he's, he's clearly a very charismatic guy Jesse Marsh um, so that, that has helped we, we feel like we've got a bit more of that maybe not a bond because it's early days but it, it does feel I think just face to face you know how it is talking to people face to face it's much better isn't it so that has helped he's very very impressive with his injury updates I mean that's been hugely helpful I think Marcelo had his moments where Marcelo was I mean, people won't forget the day he named his team. I mean, I think he's done that. He did that more than once. So Marcelo was able to be very, very open and quite honest about not only who was injured, but you know who was going to play on that following game. But his injury updates—I don't know if he became a little bit frustrated and agitated by the persistent questions about injuries, because clearly Marcelo is is much more of the mind where he's focusing on tactics and who is available and how they're going to win the game, not who isn't available, why they're not available, and how long for. Whereas. For us in this modern age, as fans and as journalists, you know, injury news is absolutely massive and critical and, and it makes the world go round. So I don't know if he became a bit agitated by that and the fact that he would give sort of return dates, players wouldn't meet them, and then questions would come back at him and say, you know, you said player X was going to be back by date Y. Why has that not happened? So it may that may well have been the case, but at least in these early days, Marsh's injury updates have been brilliant. He's very proactive. He he comes out and actually delivers an injury update in full before we even ask questions, which um, anybody that follows the presses will know. You know, we are limited in the questions we're allowed to ask. So, if Marsh can tick those boxes for us, it's very, very helpful, and and he even raises injury problems we weren't aware of. You know, so you know, he raised, if you remember, I think he mentioned Gelhart, Bate, and Shackleton without any prompting. You know, they had they had some minor issues um, which we didn't know about. So, that's been the massive bonus for us as journalists. Um, and as I say, he's not resting on his laurels. You know, there is quite a lot of PR spiel in there, and he does have this. He has this tendency, to kind of use management speak, which is just who he is. He has to be very professional in the way he speaks to the media and portrays himself. I think he's still finding his voice at Leeds. But if you put those sort of quirks aside, what he's saying is is accurate and quite welcome. And um, and time will tell. I think we we always said, didn't we? He speaks well, but all that matters is what happens on the pitch. And thankfully, he's got six points to to rest on.
0: Yeah, 100% that helps. It really does help. So, the relegation picture, Baron. We yeah. this is this is obviously prevalent now. Uh it's it's what Leeds fans are all discussing on social media, in the houses. I mean, I'll be honest, Baron, it's all me and my my dad talk about at the minute is going down and analysing every fixture and thinking, can mm. Sean Dash pull this off? Can Hodgson pull this yeah. off? And, and just trying to convince ourselves and reassure ourselves that leads are going to stay in the division. But, well, I mean, just looking at the general fixtures and I think we've, we've, we've already spoken about Everton and Everton, I think with the running have, have a, have a lot tougher games than, 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 well, many of the others really down there. Um, yeah. With the likes of West Ham away, Burnley away, I mean, Everton's away form has been dreadful this season. I think the worst in the Premier League. Uh, West Ham away, Burnley away, Man United at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Leicester at home, um, Arsenal away. I mean, that is, I mean, just off the bat, Baron, just a general listen to that list. That's that's not a good run in, is it, for Everton?
1: No, like you say, just looking at Everton's there. Uh, so away at West Ham uh, after being snatched for break not easy burnley everton you can't get a bigger six points i mean that is absolutely monumental whoever wins that has got to be feeling massively confident and i think i think Leeds will want a draw in that game won't know they want burnley Everton yeah. to play out a draw man united going to goodison i think th- this goodison factor has been talked up a lot we know man united can be inconsistent but we also know they can turn up and they have got the weapons to hurt everton mm. um palace um goodison has been postponed so that that will need to be rearranged as well. Um, The mid-table teams are interesting, isn't it? I think the closer you get to the end of the season, the more you can have, you have more teams on the beach, which I think from Leeds' Mm. perspective, the Palace away trip and Brighton at Ellen Road, they could be quite critical games. And I'm hoping that, especially if Palace are marching on in the FA Cup, um, I'm hoping Leeds will find those two teams on the beach and maybe a little bit distracted. So, that they could be the, the matches that Leeds fans are looking at and, and they could be the unexpected points because I think most of us are focusing on Watford and Brentford, aren't we? Mm. So they, they could suit Leeds, but for Everton and yeah, um Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal all <laughs> in the in the good, final five. I mean, it's brutal. I mean, they've got to be looking at as I say, Burnley away and Brentford at home. But Brentford mm. at home is the second to last day of the season. So yeah, it's not easy at all.
0: I guess with the three games in hand, Baron, a lot of Everton fans are talking that up at the minute, and and general fans are talking that up. Obviously, three games in hand, and you know we've we've just discussed here that you'd prefer points on the board, but it's it has got to be a little bit of an advantage for Everton down there, hasn't it? You know, obviously, I think we've got however many games to play left. I think it's uh, let me just check now. I think Leeds have got is it eight games to play? I think it is. Yeah, yeah eight, yeah, eight games. To- eight to go and then Everton have 11. But but like we've said, if those fixtures are certain teams, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to get points on the board.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a safety blanket. That's basically mm. saving them psychologically because they're looking at all the bad results they're having. And the only thing that's stopping those players completely imploding in their heads is the fact that, oh, don't worry, we've got three in hand on leads. We can... We can play as poor as you want week in, week out, but we've still got these games in hand. And ultimately, you're going to run out of games, fellas. You know, you need to actually start picking up some points and getting some wins. So um, as I said, you know, this, this is an argument we have every year, isn't it, in football? You, you look at the teams either fighting for promotion or in the relegation scrap, and you're saying you've got games in hand, but you're down in the bottom five for a reason. It's because you're not winning many games. Just because you've got them in hand doesn't mean... So three games in hand there. Some Everton fans will be, subconsciously or not, thinking that's nine points. We're going to be 13th with those games in the one. That's not how it works, lads. That's not <laughs> how it works. So yeah. it, is, it is just that safety. It's that reassurance that, that their fans and their players need to believe they can improve and pull away from this mm-hmm. and that they're in a false position. But all you've got to do is watch Everton and they're not in a false position.
0: True. No, very true. And like you've said, Baron, if you're looking at 35, 36 points to keep you up, I mean, that's another 10 points on what Everton yeah, they, have they caught.
1: They need three or four wins or three wins in a draw, don't
0: they? Yeah, they, they really do. And I think that's where you've got to look at Goodison. And, and it's interesting with Everton, isn't it, Baron? Because you do turn around and think, ah, they're too big to go down. They've got too many yeah. quality quality yeah. players to go down. You look at Anthony Gordon, Richarlison, Dominic Calvert Lewin. Obviously, they brought in Donny Van der Beek, which doesn't look like it's worked. But you know, Everton have they've got a top. So they've got realistically, they've probably got a top twelve side, haven't they? So you do look at that. But when you're down there, you really have got the big personalities need to step up and and take the game by the scruff of the neck. And it doesn't seem like they're doing that. at Everton at the minute.
1: No, I mean, I, I just look at their their last team now. Um... Michael Keane, once of England. I mean, mm. he could be further from the England team right now. Mm. Ben Godfrey, uh, at one stage, was was sort of mentioned in the same breath as Ben White when he was coming out of Norwich. He was seen as that ball-playing defender in his early 20s who would go on and play for England and, and be... You know, it's like with young English players, they get a big transfer fee. Obviously, Everton took that plunge on him. He's had his injury issue. Seamus Coleman... Has had a good career, but from what I've read, it sounds like when he gets exposed, it can be quite cruel. Uh, and I think I think the Spurs game might have been particularly bad for Seamus Coleman. Alan, I mean, I don't know how much you watched Everton last season, but I thought Alan was actually a really solid defensive midfielder for Everton last mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Dakure once mentioned with PSG. I mean, that's the sort of player we're talking about. In Dakure, he was at Watford, and he was along with Troy Deeney considered the crown jewel there. And, and as I say, PSG were being talked about as a possible option for him they were. That's just not happening. I know he's had injury issues. Richarlison, we all know about his the most inconsistent typical Brazilian player you can think of. You know, one one minute he plays like Pelé, the next minute he's playing like a fat Adriano. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that, that is kind of the way he, his form fluctuates. <laughs> Damari Gray had his moment, you know, he had his five minutes earlier in the season, but again, he's now showing why Leicester weren't too bothered about him. Mm. Alex Awobi, Arsenal reject amazingly scored that goal against Newcastle. But I don't think any of us think too much of Alex Obe. But again, came out of the Arsenal system. You think he he shouldn't be in a relegation scrap, you would think. No, no. Um, And then the obvious ones are Dominic Albert lewin is probably the way the Everton fan base will look at it and say if he plays more than 30 games in a season, we get enough goals to to not get in trouble. But he has just had crippling injury issues this season. Um, Deli Ali
0: the wrong buy, wasn't it?
1: I think we all no. know the way he, his career is going. It's, it's quite sad, but yeah. you're not going to bring Deli Ali in from Spurs where he's, he's not looked himself for two or three years and expect him to get you out of trouble. Mm. Donny van der Beek has a great game against Leeds, but I've not really heard, heard much <laughs> about him since then. No. Andros Townsend was, was decent in the first half of the season, but he can't really get a game now.
0: He's got, a lot, he got so, an awful injury as well, Baron, at the weekend. So, I think that's him out for the season. Townsend did, did he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, i sad,
1: sad to hear. Well, I mean,
0: yeah. I, I think there's a
1: lot of names there, isn't there? That's, that's a mm. lot of really well-known footballers, which is why a lot of us are shocked. And our general position is they're too good to go down. But, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? And Lampard's got a massive job on his hands.
0: Yeah, and we went down with um, some fairly good players as well, Baron. I think Newcastle have, West Ham yeah. have. Also, yeah, never... we, we
1: had this discussion at, at LMO the other day with, with a few of the press back and talking about you know the best teams that have been relegated. And you do look at those Newcastle and Leeds teams. West Ham went down, I think, didn't they, with with a very, very good side to it. It can happen. If some... mm. It does creep up on some teams. Mm. And I think most fingers are pointing at the, at the recruitment strategy in the boardroom rather than um, rather than the um, staff, as it were.
0: Yeah, um, so we've touched on Everton. Watford are an interesting proposition, aren't they, yeah, Baron? They're a... They're a really interesting proposition, obviously, going away to Southampton, getting a win, obviously, when Leeds beat Norwich, which was a bit of a crippler, to be quite honest with you. Um, But then they've got, they've been hammered by Wolves. They've been beaten by Arsenal narrowly, but then they've been battered by Palace at home. But then they they pull out a draw away at Man United. They they win at Aston Villa. And I think it's, I think I look at Watford, I don't know about yourself, but I think they're probably the most likely to get out of it because similarly to Leeds, they seem to have a little bit of an unexpected result in them.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair point, really. I mean, we, we were just talking about Southampton, weren't we, and their run of three losses. And of course, one of those was to Watford, which is a completely yeah. freak result and none of us saw it coming. Emmanuel Dennis uh, has been very, very good for them. And, and I think, as we know, There's always that one relegate team that gets out of trouble because they've got one striker who can just bag one every two games or one every three games or just pops up with that important goal. And he might be that guy for them. Roy Hodgson, obviously in the very, very latter stages of his career, but, you know, he knows what he's doing. Whatever we think about his style of football, his record is good. You know, he made... Palace a very boring but effective team that remained in the Premier League through some years where they would have been in that in that scrap at least but they are now a very stable Premier League side that is flourishing under Patrick Vieira so Hodgson knows what knows how to grind out we've said this a few times especially with with Leeds under Bielsa we said there were other teams that just knew how to keep clean sheets and Mm. Old Trafford 0-0 that that sums up the way Watford will think they can stay up. They go to Old Trafford and get a point that nobody expected by keeping a clean sheet. And as you say, we're looking at their fixtures. So they're on they're on 22 points. So if you're being kind, they need four wins. But yeah. Yeah, you may be saying, if not five wins, then four wins in a draw or two, mm-hmm. which is a big yeah. ask with, uh, they've got nine games to play. So they need to effectively win half their games to stay up. But the fixtures, you can at least see options for them. Clearly, they need to beat Leeds. They absolutely have to beat Leeds. Then the next week, they have Brentford, who have shown shown some signs of recovery. But again, from what I've, I've read, and I only saw the match they highlights, but Brentford at Leicester seemed like a team that were heading for the beach, to be honest. I think they, they got their wins, didn't they, recently? And they may well yeah. be on the beach soon, sooner rather than later. So they're two massive home games, back-to-back, that Watford have got. Um, they've obviously got Liverpool and City away either side of that. You know they're not going to get those. Burnley then go to Vicarage Road. They've got three massive home games in a row there, haven't they? Leeds, yeah. Brentford, and Burnley have to win those, and you, you, they are feasible. They are feasible wins. Those three that gives them three of the four they need, um, and then the two that are right in the balance. They've got Palace away, who again they will be hoping are on the beach, and then you've got Leicester at Vicarage Road. Again, another team who focusing on European football could be on the beach as well and then it's Chelsea away last day they won't get anything from that although I know on the final day very very weird things happen but you can at least see the makings of of Roy Hodgson's team sort of there can't you you can you can believe in some universe how they get three wins there Um, again I say they need four minimum so it's a big ass saying it is easier than doing it isn't it you know I'm saying you know not just beat Leeds that's not enough. They don't need to beat Brentford. They need to beat Burnley at home. That's nine points they need in a row at home. And then they still need to go to Palace away or have Leicester at home and get something from them. So it's a big ask, but unlike Everton, you can see on paper at least why Watford will believe if they turn up and actually take their chances, they have the opposition they can't beat.
0: Yeah, uh, I, think, I think it's key to note as well, Watford have played 29 games. Um, so they're separated yeah, by... By Everton, who have played 27, and Burnley, who've played 27 as well, so that could work. Against them. they've won six all season, and and Keaton, oh Baron, I didn't realise this until I did a little bit of a fact check before the pod. Um, they've lost eight in a row at home. Um, that 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 includes a three nil uh, loss to Norwich at home, and they've only lost they've only won uh, two all season at home. Which I think we're in agreement, Baron. If you're to stay up this season, you simply have to make your home ground a fortress.
1: Yeah, and like i just said that with um, with Watford especially there, they've got three very appetising home games there, but they have to win them, don't they? They mm-hmm. simply have to win them. I forgot to mention, they, they do have Everton at home as well, yeah. <laughs> which is another home game, which on the, the site I was looking at wasn't showing, but I've just found it. That's another game they need to play. So that again, if they want them, there are four wins they could get there. But as you say, mm-hmm. Connor, nothing in the entire season suggests they're going to get those four wins easily.
0: And that's that's right, isn't it? It it does it does come to this psychological thing with fans. It definitely does with me that you uh, you come into these games and you think to yourself, yeah, but if Watford get three wins here, if they get a draw here, but then you look at it, they've had what. Uh, is it four wins all season? Uh, six wins, sorry, all, all season. And it's a massive ask for, for a team to pick up. But but I guess, Baron, it's it's this relegation running. Very strange things happen. Like you've said, other teams, you know, the, the middle bracket teams. I think yeah. Newca- Newcastle have to feature against a couple of these teams. And if you're Newcastle, you, you're you pretty much done probably looking at next season. So that's, I guess that's got to be taken into account. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, let's move on to Burnley. So. Uh, Burnley's fixture. I don't really want to touch on Norwich. I don't really see the point. No offense, no, any Norwich fans. Down, they? they are down. <laughs> yeah, I think Norwich are, are pretty yeah,
1: much. I done. mean, their fans and journalists. I think are accepting it anyway. I mean, we spoke to some other journalists at Ellen Road, and I mean, yeah. they've been accepting for a few weeks, but losing it at Leeds really was their
0: last chance. Yeah, hundred percent. And obviously, with with Everton and Leeds picking up points as well, I think I think that's signed, sealed, and delivered for Norwich. But Burnley's another interesting one. Um Burnley obviously they've got City at home Um, they've got two games on the bounce at home actually City and Everton then they go to Norwich um, then they go to West Ham then they've got Southampton at home Wolves at home Watford away uh, Villa at home uh, Spurs away obviously where they beat Spurs at home didn't they and then Newcastle at home so I do look at that and I think with a few games in hand, you you do expect, you know, I I did just mention Watford could could potentially get out of it. And of of course any team could, but the likelihood is maybe, is it, is it, is it Dice time or is Dice time? (laughs) Is is that, is that worn out? Do you think?
1: It's funny that we all know what Dice time means without even talking (laughs) about it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, again, we look at the points, so they've got 21 points. So if you're looking at, at realistically, they need, Again, five wins, you know, five wins from the last eleven games, or four wins and a couple of draws. I know that they they do love a draw. I mean, that, that's the thing when you look at the table. They've only lost twelve games this season. You know, Norwich have lost twenty, Watford have lost nineteen, Everton have lost sixteen, mm. Brentford have lost sixteen, Burnley have lost twelve. But crucially, they've only won three games all season. That's been their problem. They just cannot win. They don't lose very often, but they just cannot win. So, and they're going to need wins. Connor to get out of this. So twenty-one points. So again, if we're being charitable, four wins and a draw or two. But you know, five wins you think would keep them up. And you look at their fixtures. Like you say, City at home, no chance. But Everton at home, we've already talked about it. Massive six points for both teams. They absolutely have to go for that that game. Norwich away, Norwich are down. You would even with Burnley, you're thinking that's that's got to be three points for Burnley. You would think. I mean, we've seen they've got signs of life. Veg Horst has looked half decent. We know Nick Pope is an England goalkeeper. Cornet he can't keep a well. clean sheet.
0: Cornet. Cornet
1: can, again, a bit like Richarlison, very inconsistent, but on his day, as mm-hmm. we saw Ellen Road, can bang the goal in. Um, West Ham away for, Burn- for Burnley. West Ham, they should have enough for them, even if they are focusing <laughs> on Europe.
0: Yeah.
1: Southampton at home, they could be on the beach by then, Southampton. Wolves at home, another team who are in mid-table. I mean, you look at these games, and these are winnable games if these teams haven't got much to play for. Watford away. Again, we've talked about Watford. They need to win that. Burnley clearly need to win that as well. That's a huge six-pointer.
0: Mm.
1: Villa at home for Burnley. Villa, they have got a bad game in them. haven't they? I mean, they could be on the beach by then. Tottenham away, I think, I think Spurs will have too much. We know how well Harry Kane tends to finish seasons. Mm. And then, yeah, final day, Burnley at home to Newcastle. Um, and, and they've also got Villa away to fit in there as well as a rearranged game, which won't be easy, but Again, it's like Watford. Really, the games are there that you could see, but mm. nothing about their campaign suggests they're going <laughs> to pick up five wins when they've won three in twenty-seven. Are they going to win five in eleven when they've won three in twenty-seven? I mean, it just—it just—it makes no makes no mathematical
0: sense. No, no, you, no. You're quite right. They've won one in five as well, and they've got a draw in there. Of course, they have, but they've lost three in the last five. And I mean, it, it's interesting with Burnley, isn't it, Baron? Because aside from Veghorst, aside from Corne, it's a very, very familiar Burnley side to what we've mm. seen for. For I mean, you're looking at five years now. You're the likes of Ben Me at the back, Tarkowski, L- Lowton, yeah. Charlie, yeah. Charlie Taylor, uh, Westwood, Westwood, Cork. It's it's it is Dwight McNeil. It's it's a very similar side, and you think Dash he's still... miracles
1: there. I know, we're, oh. I know we're, we're I know we're saying they might go down, but he I can't believe oh, yeah. how long he's kept them up for. I mean, yeah. he's, he's worked absolute miracles there, and their fans should be building statues of him on every street corner.
0: Hundred percent, and and I've seen a, a few Burnley fans saying, you know, if he, I think they did a poll on on Twitter the other day. Twenty percent said they wanted him out, but I think that the, oh. the, the, the I mean, I can't believe it was twenty percent, Baron. I mean, you've got to oh. keep hold of this guy for as long yeah. as you can. Um, I I, 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 don't know. I just think, do you? I mean, we'll get on to your final thoughts on who you think will go down. But do you think you're looking at this Burnley side and maybe that that fuel in the tank has just run out with this with the amount of players that they've got.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a few points this season where we felt they've they've probably gone, and then they've they've had a result or two, and you think <laughs> I think it was the, the the win at Brighton. They won like three 0 at Brighton. You think beat wow, Tottenham as
0: well, didn't they? They beat Tottenham at home. Wow, right? yeah,
1: back to back wins. And you're thinking, God, I mean, and at that point, obviously, we were a lot more worried as as Leeds followers about, about about Burnley sucking Leeds in. But I don't know. Again, when you actually look at the brass tacks, as we have just done, the idea of Burnley winning five and eleven is just just can't get my head around him because I mean you mm-hmm. can believe them getting five draws but five draws are not keeping them up I mean they, they need to get I could say minimum four wins and I can't even see four wins happening to be honest mm-hmm. so yeah maybe it has I mean we can't say they're all going to stay up <laughs> um, I mean, two from that three have got to go I mean I know we're not we don't think Leeds are safe yet I think they, they no. still need two more wins but psychologically at least we feel a lot better about it so if we are mm-hmm. Looking at it optimistically, I think Brentford have done enough in the last few weeks. I think Brentford was sliding, but they seem to have sort of stopped that, yep. that that flow downwards. So I think they should be okay. Um, it's tough. I think I think Burnley have probably got a bit too much to do, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um so I mean we we we've, we've briefly spoken about this but do you think it's 35 points this year baron that keeps the team up
1: I've just said burnley've got too much to do and they've got everton at home like if they beat everton it's just <laughs> it's just change <laughs> it? again. got a good run
0: burnley've got let's let's be brutally honest burnley've got a favorable run that, that yeah. they have, haven't they? they've so. only
1: got they've only got a four point gap to everton and one win just as we've seen with leeds one win can change everything two wins yep. can change everything it's just it's football isn't it i mean this is why we yep. love it because anything can happen um like I said, final day, Watford away at Chelsea. Nobody's given them a chance, but somehow, blagger two-one win it. Just you, you've, you've seen it. How many times have we watch match of the day on the final day of the season and watch these these games as they split between the matches, and, and and some team manages to dig themselves out. It's it's great for the broadcasters. It's not too good yeah. for, for the heart rate.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've got to think that any anything beyond thirty-five is maybe a little bit too much. That's what we're hoping. I think that's, that's it, that. Yeah. That's, that's I think, all. I think
1: this season has been a slightly lower quality, hasn't it? When it comes to points, so I think. Mm. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm saying Burnley need five wins. They might need four, given given the way the points totals are going. But if, like you say, if we're looking at history, then I think 35 should virtually guarantee it.
0: So, who are your three then, just off the bat right now? With <laughs> with leads leads on 30. You're not allowed to put you're not allowed to put leads down there, Baron. I'm not yeah, sure you I would think, anyway. I think I think,
1: think leads will be fine now. I think yeah. I think they've got enough in the tank.
0: So um Norwich have gone
1: obviously. Yeah, Norwich yeah. have gone. Um <laughs> <clears throat> Everton, of course, have got Everton have got the position. So Everton have got the position everybody wants to have, which is 17th, and the games in hand. But you cannot argue that Watford and Burnley have got the fixtures, like they have got winnable games. I just I think Watford's fixtures look favourable, but I just don't know if they've got enough weapons in the team. Mm. I just don't think they've got quite got enough quality on paper. So I think Watford will go. And I think, amazingly, I think I think it could come down to Everton-Burnley. Um,
0: Going to stick your head above that oh, parapet.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, th- I think Burnley <laughs> might do it.
0: Burnley, yeah.
1: I don't know, I've just talked myself, I've, I've changed my mind about three times in two months, <laughs> but I don't know. Dyche knows what he's doing. Dyche, Dyche is that's his bread and butter down there. They can Deich keep time. clean sheets. I don't believe Everton can. I know they did the other day against Newcastle, but you know, it is Newcastle in the day. Newcastle have improved, but you know, they aren't world beaters yet. So I yeah, I think I think if I'm if I'm gonna stick my neck out, I think Waterton but what what for Burnley and that comes down to Lampard's inexperience in a relegation mm. scrap, um with a team which is got incredibly low morale and the fixtures are not easy for Everton, are they?
0: No, no. Um, I would agree with you, Baron. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Everton, Watford, and Norwich oh, as I well.
1: Everton in the Championship—it just doesn't feel right, does it? No, I mean, obviously oh, well, st- it's never been seen, so there's
0: some sick part of me that wants to see it as well. So, uh, yeah, you like said it,
1: fan, not me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not having Everton fans come after me.
0: <laughs> yeah, come come after me instead. But um, and I think I'd wanted to touch on this as well, Baron. I think the key part of all of this when you're looking at Leeds and you've got a lot of confidence with Leeds is probably the fact that now that not, not only is the momentum back-to-back wins and we've got you know a home game next up, but the injuries returning are absolutely huge psychological boosts, aren't they? We've just spoken off-air as well about Leeds not having... That, that uh, you know, tougher injuries, I think we've just said, haven't we, there, that it's Roberts, Furpo, and Yelder who are going to be out, but the rest are probably going to be, hopefully, touch wood fit for Southampton. That's a massive, massive boost for Leeds United. It's almost like a couple of new signings coming back, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it feels, it feels bizarre to say it, doesn't it? Because we have just had this season of constantly looking at having four or five or six players out mm. with a quite a weak bench, but I mean you almost get a bit giddy at the thought of... I mean, I did I did a piece this morning on... I mean, Diego Llorente might not start again this season. He's mm. had the injury. He's had some poor form. Liam Cooper's the club captain. He only needs one chance and he's back in the team and he's not getting dropped again. There's no way Jesse Marsh is dropping Liam Cooper once he's back no. in.
0: No.
1: Robin Cock is locked and loaded, fully fit. I know he's got COVID, but all being well, that won't lay him low for too long.
0: Looked very good yeah. at centre-back as well, didn't he? Bear? Yeah, Looked and if Llorente
1: does need a bit of time off this international break, it just opens the door. And imagine having Uriente at Spain International on the bench for the last um, eight games of the season because he mm-hmm. can't get in the team. I mean, that, that says it all really. I mean, again, the excitement of thinking about Klitsch and Forshaw absolutely scrapping just to stay in the team because Phillips is coming back. I mean, imagine that as, as a pivot, Phillips with, with one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, left back, of course, is where we are a little bit lighter, of course, and Firpo being out means that Dallas is, is virtually uncontested there. But again, we know Stroy can do a job there. I don't know how It'll be different to Bielsa's system because that flank is more exposed, but I wonder if Stroik would suit Marsh's system at left back, um, mm. which would then accommodate Cock and Cooper in the middle, potentially. But I think, all being well, Dallas probably keeps that place. Ailing we know, keeps his place with, with Shackleton there to, to provide competition with Dallas as well. Yeah. And and yeah, if, you, if you've got Harrison, James, Rafinha, Bamford, Rodrigo, Gellhart, all fit and available mean you can't do any better than that. I mean that the leads will be at least in a position where there'll be no excuses. You know, there will be no we didn't have player X, Y, and Z for the run in. Um if we can keep them fit, the record has been so sort of good so far in the march. He's been very, very honest and, and very diligent with, with how he's looking after these players. It will it will feel so bizarre seeing a bench that strong against Southampton.
0: He, he almost seemed when I was listening to his post-match um, conversation, I think he was doing something with Sky or just LeedsUnited.com, he almost seemed frustrated with himself that he he thought that he'd got the Bamford call wrong. He was sort of to and fro with himself before the game, whether or not to start him. And he said right yeah. at the end of the interview, he said, I might have got that one wrong. And it's it's interesting how he's very sort of critical. And as you've said, Baron, he's, he's very, very... Self-aware and uh, an understanding of the predicament that leads her in, and, and it, it, he's got such a tough task, hasn't he? As so as Rob Price, um, he's had a tough task all season. But bringing these players back at the right time and ensuring that they're not coming back with a niggle is absolutely pivotal with eight games to go.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of hindsight as well, isn't it, for, for Jesse Marsh? I'm sure he's just beating himself up, but I think I don't think any of us were, were too concerned about Bamford starting. Of course, he played he the 45 against. Norwich, and there were no real serious problems. They said maybe a bit of fatigue, but but no real injury issues. And I think he has. His Bamford clearly isn't 100 fit yet. You know, he's clearly managing that foot issue. You know, all it took was one awkward landing, and he and he felt it, and he and he didn't want to take any further risks. So mm. I'm sure Marsh will beat himself up, and um, but they, they have to manage it, and, and you have to play him really with the way he played against Norwich. You you had to put him in from the start in that game. So like I say, hopefully with these two weeks. Um, he was able to let it settle down, and and thankfully, as Mar said Bamford was 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 in tears mainly because he was just disappointed that he just couldn't help the team. It wasn't because his foot had gone completely; and he'd ruptured anything, and it and it was a season ender. It, it was more f- just the frustration, I think, and you can understand that. It's been it's been a brutally hard season for these guys, and they're not robots. They're paid to play football. We know they're paid very very well, but they just love doing it. It's what they mm. it's what they love doing, and when you take that away from somebody. Really, really hard to take, especially in such a public setting.
0: It's exciting as well now with the, I don't know if you feel quite similarly, but when Cresswell came on, um, I mean, he seems to like such a dominant figure in, in the back line and a lot of Leeds fans are you know, future captain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you've just mentioned Diego Llorente. A lot of the centre-backs now have, have a real fight on the hands, don't they? Because you look at Phillips coming back and obviously Robin's going to be taken out of that DCM role. And um, sorry, that, that that pivot role with whoever's going to be next to him, and and it looks like now there is you're looking at probably four or five, potentially even five or six when your elders fit all absolutely f- fighting for that centre back part, uh, that centre back position. Not only that, but but some fighting for the futures.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and this is this is what Auto wanted when he, when he put this squad together. You know, when that when they are all fully fit, you've got some fantastic competition places. And we we've, we've always said, haven't we, that. Center back is arguably the deepest position in the squad mm. um, because, as you say, you've got Cresswell at what fifth or sixth choice. Uh, I think when when people might remember when Bielsa was talking about center backs before he left, he kept talking about the five or six options he had, and he kept not mentioning Cresswell. And we're all thinking, you got you got you got an England under twenty one inch Sackler <laughs> there who you're not even mentioning, and, and he's he's scrapping as well because Shielders obviously has done so well since he's come in. So, you, like you say, you have got six players that are going for two slots. Um, and that can only be a good thing in terms of competition for places. Um Crestwall's time will come. I still think he was a bit raw on Friday. I think he obviously mm-hmm. made a few hasty decisions, didn't he? And was he obviously missed the missed the ball, which then led to him and Ezamellier colliding. And of course, he had that very hefty tackle later, which another referee might have given him a red for. So he's learning, but he's only young, isn't he? And um a very, very bright future. Um, very physical already. You know, sometimes you do get quite frail youngsters coming into the side that haven't got that stature yet, but He'd back him physically in the air against against most strikers. I mean, the, the Antonio game is probably yeah. the perfect example. You know, he went in against West Ham against one of the most physical strikers in the Premier League, and he and he dealt with him
0: quite comfortably. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, definitely a bright future there. The next three, Baron for Leeds, seem pivotal. I mean, like we've just said, uh, we've we've gone on the other teams' fixtures. I don't want to do it throughout. I don't want to really talk about the next eight fixtures with Leeds. Mm. I just want to focus on the next three. Um, so Southampton at home. Watford away, Palace away. I didn't realize Palace have only lost three games at, at home all season. Can't, what, a, what, a, what 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 job Vieira's has done? Um, but it, it does seem like these next three games, as we've spoken about, it, it's pivotal because Leeds have got back to back to back wins. Of course, we have, but these next two Leeds still need points, you know, because then you, you've you've almost got fixtures of Chelsea. I think it's Chelsea in, in no particular order: Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, and Palace. So. You know these these next three for Leeds uh, or next two even uh, are huge, aren't they? In terms of keeping that momentum and, and and driving that 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 gap even wider.
1: Yeah, absolutely massive. As we've said, um, Watford was always going to be was always looking like that that big game even before mm. the the Norwich and the Wolves wins. We were obviously looking at the, at the fixture list and we were trying to pick out where Leeds could get their wins. And of course, Watford away, as the table would show, is is clearly a game Leeds need to go and win and are very beatable opposition. So. That that's absolutely massive. If, if if they can go into that off a, off beating Southampton, you know, that, as I've said already, if they win the next two, then by the time we go into that next fortnight break before Palace, I, I'd happy. I'd be happy to tell people Leeds are safe. You know, I think six more points, right. and they are they are staying up. So it's huge. You know, that that little that little brace of games they've got before the next break. You they, they could come into that next break being being safe, and imagine the relief. Will go around the training ground and the club, and knowing they can go into those final six matches with, with a bit of freedom and a bit of reassurance that the, the um, they can they can sort of play with that freedom and that confidence. So um, they are massive, and like you say, Palace away that will not be easy at all. It do, it is on paper on the easier end of the scale when you compare it to City at home, Arsenal away, and Chelsea at home. Um, but you know, let's say they come out of those the next three still needing a win, let's say they beat Watford and, and maybe get draws in the other two, then maybe you're looking at they need one draw um, mm. and you've got Brighton and Brentford in the final two games. I know that's going to be no good for our heart rate, needing stuff in the final <laughs> two weeks of the season because yeah. by that point, in theory, the other clubs might have tightened up a little bit. Mm. But though those two do stand out to me as, I mean, they, they could be on the beach by then, Brentford and Brighton.
0: Yeah, 100%, definitely. Um, right, okay. Uh, the next segment of the show, Baron. Uh, there's been a lot of chat uh, today on on social media, and and you know a lot of things going round about about Rafinha. Uh, obviously, Rafinha didn't play in the last game for Leeds United, but there's been a lot of chat about him potentially leaving Leeds United this summer. I mean, this has been going on. I mean, even last season, Baron, I mean, this guy is—he's lit up the Premier League, hasn't he? So many assists, so many goals in such a short space of time. Um, spot a few, few rumors on Twitter, Sport, who are a who are a really good sort of European network have, have said that allegedly, uh, Barcelona have put an offering for him. Um. I mean, I mean, well, listen—it's all rumors, isn't it? It's all—it's all we don't know. It's up in the air. But are you sort of expecting Rafinha to move on this summer, regardless, or are you thinking at the minute that this is just rumors and, and he could—he could? There's a likelihood he could be here next year.
1: I, I probably wouldn't say expect. I wouldn't expect him to leave, but I, I would expect rumors and I'd expect interest. Mm. Um, I think. We all know by now that the Leeds haven't made any significant sales since promotion really to offset some of the investment that's been made. And I think we're all expecting more investment this summer. I think we need it. Even if Leeds stay up, we know that squad does need some, some, some reinforcements. It was, it was the ongoing narrative under Bielsa. It's going to continue to be a narrative under Marsh until they start to get some bodies in the door. So that money doesn't, doesn't come from, from nowhere. You know, Radrazzani and the Premier League money and the 49ers. Can, can provide the, the finances in their own way if they need to, but I think it is going to keep the balance sheet happy if they are able to, to sell players, if they are going to follow this Leicester model that Radrazani keeps talking about. And as uncomfortable as it is, Rafinha, Phillips and Melier are the three big ticket items in that lead squad. So there's going to be interest. If you are a Premier League side with players of that quality and not playing in Europe, you're always going to be at risk of having your players poached. And now we're, we're two seasons into the Premier League. Um I think after after last season, that first year, you can understand there might have been a bit more caution from clubs looking at Rafinha. He'd, he'd had a good second half of last season, but people obviously want to see a bit more from him. And of course, it was only one year at Leeds, and he's now another year into his contract with two to go. They will test the waters, and you would you would not be surprised if, if there was a sale of quite significant value this summer. I think if Leeds could handpick, I think if they'd resolve, sort of resign themselves to losing somebody for big money in the next 18 months, then I think they would probably handpick after the World Cup because as we all know, if Rafinha goes to the World Cup and explodes Brazil, it could be a £100 million player based on the, the transfer market and the way the World Cup inflates values. So I'm sure they would rather it was in 2023, maybe in the January window rather than in the coming summer window, but yeah, we'll have to see what comes in. But yeah, I would be amazed if there aren't some big money offers. I, I wonder what Liverpool will do now because they've obviously got Diaz and I think they're probably quite well stocked in, in that area. So I think Diaz probably was their Rafinha signing. So I wonder if Liverpool might back away now. But yeah, you can look at any of the other big clubs and, and see why they would want Rafinha. You know, he, he would he would go into many of their sides. So there's going to be a bidding war perhaps. You, you would think in Leeds... If they are going to sell him, then they're going to want as much money as possible. They are a business after all and they need to make money and they need to to keep the club um, financially secure moving forward in a transfer sense. So I wouldn't say I expect him to leave, but I would expect a lot of interest and there's going to be some quite difficult conversations for Leeds if if the offers do start going up towards 60 £70, 80000000 million. Pounds. I mean, that's serious, serious money. Leeds fans don't need me to tell them that.
0: No. Hundred percent, and hopefully, uh, we can get a good value for him. But you do look at Barcelona, uh, that the rebuild they're doing, Mbappe potentially going to Real Madrid. Getting their money
1: from Barcelona? I thought they were yes. literally
0: like peasants now.
1: I mean, how, are they, how are they interested
0: in the team here? I've I've no idea. But then, obviously, you got you got uh, Mbappe, who looks like he's going to be going to Real Madrid. So obviously, PSG have that 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 gap there. I think Bayern are trying to do a little bit of a rebuild as well with their front three. So. Yeah, you can imagine that the interest is definitely going to be there, but I agree with you, Baron. It's got to just be about Leeds getting the best price possible for him, and and not not accepting anything too low because uh, that would be criminal. I mean, they bought him for eighteen million, didn't they? So um... Le- Leeds will know. Leeds will know that they that it will, will not wash with fans if they if they
1: if they mess this up. They they will mm-hmm. know if the fans are to accept this as just the way football works, they will need a very decent transfer fee to soften that blow and some immediate reinvestment in the squad as, um, as Villa did with Jack Grealish think that's a good example of, of way Villa managed it. They had to sell a very big asset for a lot of money, but they actually spent the money before Grealish even left. You know, Buendia, Ings and Bailey were all announced before Grealish even left. So the blow had been significantly softened.
0: Definitely. Um, all right, guys, we're going to leave it there. We hope you've enjoyed it. has been a bumper pod, but something to get your teeth into over the international break. Make sure you check us out on our website, leads livecouk Check out all our socials as well. Baron, thank you so much for joining me. Cheers, Connor. And we'll see you in a bit. Cheers.